Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. everyone. New episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday, and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. He was watching a documentary about Tanya Harding when he realized this was going to be his next film. Welcome screenwriter and producer of I, Tanya, Stephen Rogers. A-OK. Hey everyone, my guest today is the screenwriter Stephen Rogers. Stephen's writing credits include the films Kate and Leopold, starring Meg Ryan and Hugh Jackman, Hope Floats, starring Sandra Bullock and Harry Connick Jr., Earthly Possessions, starring Susan Sarandon, Stepmom, also starring Susan Sarandon, Love the Coopers with Diane Keaton and Marissa Tomei, and most recently the film that is taking the world by storm, I, Tanya, starring Margot Robbie and Allison Janney. Upcoming projects include Flora Plum and The Driving Lesson with Miss Octavia Spencer. Welcome, Stephen Rogers, to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here, finally. Finally. I mean, full disclosure, my friends, Stephen and I have known each other for Since really... God was a small child. God was small, and we were really young, and so you can imagine my pride in having witnessed your career up until this point, but knowing what you wrote and sometimes your dissatisfaction with how the final product of some of your earlier films came out. Yeah, I think that's problematic. It's just a professional problem. But because of that little bit of of information I just shared about your personal frustration with the ways in which some of your stuff was produced in the end, you went ahead and thought sisters are doing it for themselves a little (laughs) bit, right? Or brothers in this case. Yeah, I knew that I had to reinvent myself Mm -hmm. because I was known primarily as one thing. I was the guy who wrote romantic comedies, which I 
I didn't think that was all I was, but that's what I was sort of pegged as. And really and, successful at selling. And successful, but they were rapidly not making those anymore. So I knew I had to reinvent myself. And I had just written a Christmas movie called Love the Coopers, and I knew I wanted to do something that was the polar opposite to that. And my niece, Kanani, who is not Hawaiian, was over. And we happened to see this great documentary on 30 for 30 that Nanette Burstein did yeah. on Tanya Harding. And I thought, well, nothing doesn't say Christmas like Tanya Harding. But they were the anti Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there were elements in the story that I really responded to about class in America and the disenfranchised and what we tell women they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and also fame in the media and and truth and the perception of truth. And this was before Donald Trump. So this was just on its own. It just interested me the things that we tell ourselves in order to be able to live with ourselves. Sure. And all of that was just wrapped up in a whole lot of crazy in this story. And I thought, why has nobody done this? So I went onto the Tanya Harding website Mm -hmm. to see if the life rights were even available. And I called the number for her agent and it was a Motel 6. I think that's where my agent is. I think we share the same agent. Okay. I was yeah. wondering where he was. I just thought, I'm so I'm in. so in. I'm so in. And so, I mean. Wait, I need to get more specific. You call the number. Yeah. Uh, hello, Motel, Motel 6. 6. And you're like, is Tanya Harding's like, agent well, there? I was just like, this is, what now? <laughs> what, it's a what? You know, and I, I honestly, I didn't know whether I dialed the wrong number or sure. if this was an old number or this was where her agent, you know, I didn't care. I just thought this is I'm a in. sign. Yes. I don't know what a sign looks like, but I'm pretty sure that's one. I'm sure you the know? actual sign says Motel, <laughs> Motel 6. 6. That's right. Yeah. Um, oh, you should and, have made it a Motel 6 production. Uh, well. I'm yeah, stealing yeah. it. That's going to be my production company from now on. Anyway, I said it on air. That's mine. Okay. Go. Uh, yeah. You're good. Yeah. Well, I mean, no one was paying me to do this or anything, and so I decided to sort of do it on my own. So take me literally through it. You call, and my production company, Motel 6, yeah. answers the phone. And so I figure, well, i got to track down the real Tanya Harding now. And so I made some calls. and Like I, to who? I, I found this woman in Texas, this mm-hmm. very nice woman, who said she was Tanya's manager, but she wasn't. <laughs> also my agent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who Tanya calls mom, but she's not. Wait, Tanya does call her mom? Yeah. Or this woman said No, that? no, no. She okay. does. She does. But uh, but she's not no. her mom. And because I had written those other movies, I think that she sort of took me seriously and she acted as a liaison. And so I said, well, why don't I just fly up to Sisters, Oregon? Mm-hmm. Like have you, you do. Have you ever been to Sisters? Well, my agent lives there now. <laughs> okay. Yes. If you ever go there, sisters, just, just make sisters. the best of it. I will. <laughs> That's I what will. I did. Um, Good for you. And so I flew up to, I mean, which was so surreal, to Sisters, to meet Tanya Harding, just to see if we liked each other. Because if we didn't like each other, I wasn't going to do it. And she picked me up in my lodge, because you stay in lodges and Sisters. And I, I, I tried to get into her truck, but there was no outside passenger door handle. So she had to open it for me. And we had lunch, and we talked, and... She started to tell me the story, but, you know, she she's told the story a lot. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it just came out by rote. And so I thought, mm, i got to figure out a way around that. 
And she was trying to sort of put her good face on because, you know, I think she wanted me to do this. And I thought, hmm, got to figure out a way. But I haven't ever interviewed anybody before. Right. Which I did not tell her. Good. You know. Smart. Uh, but I met her and I met her husband and her son who, I mean, they're very personable and very nice. And once I got the life rights, I went back up there and I, I spent about two days interviewing her. Walk me through that. When her mom, not right. her mom, puts you in touch with her, like she gives you her phone number and says, this no, is Tanya's she, number or no, Tanya no. calls you? No, neither. Okay. Uh, I just talked with the, the lady in Texas. Mom. Mom. Who's not mom. <laughs> yeah. Not mom. So not mom pretty much acted as the, you know. The go-between. The, yeah, the courier. And then so I said, okay, I'll fly up. And I gave her the dates and everything. And the first time I really – I met Tanya was face-to-face that day where she picked me up in her truck with no handle. And at this point, is there any conversation about how much money she will get paid for you to do no, this? No, no, no. I, I mean, I said, it's like you have to get a lawyer. You have to get a lawyer. And this actually took a very long time because she she doesn't have a lot of money and she didn't want to pay one. So she ended up getting her ex-manager to do it. But that took the longest. I think it took me longer to – her to get the lawyer than it did for me to write the script. Well, she had to find out what motel her ex-manager was staying in uh, so that she could. (laughs) All right. So it happened. Somehow, miraculously, a deal is made. Yeah. And and now at this point, you've written this on spec, right? Well, I haven't even written it yet. You haven't even written. You have this idea. Yeah. But first, you have to secure the life rights. Right. On your end, she has a lawyer. How do you, Stephen Rogers, who's literally like, I'm going to do this all on my own. How do you then secure the life rights on your end? It wasn't hard. You can people can do things. I could do that. Anyone, if I can do it, I could get your life rights if I wanted. You can. You just say, "Look, I knew there was no one banging down her door, um, and no one was paying me." So I think I said I would pay a thousand dollars for eighteen months, you know, so I can write it and everything, and then if if we sell it and we make a movie at it, then everybody gets money. So that's what you arranged with her. Um, uh, yeah. But then her, her the lawyer came in and he said he e- over email, gee, I wonder if I'm talking out of turn. No one listens to this, right? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> um, I think he said, well, we can't even discuss it for less than $10,000. Mm-hmm. And I just emailed him back and I said, no, it's 1000 And if you bug me, it's going to be seven fifty. Right. And he emailed me back and he said, well, I discussed it with Tanya and we decided we couldn't do it for any less than two. <laughs> and I said, I'll give you 1500 And so that was done. And I had 18 months basically to get this movie going. And so I interviewed her over a two-day period. But then I thought I have to talk to Jeff. Sure. Because there was just stuff that I was like, hmm. So I tracked him down in a minute because you can do that on the internet now. And I got somehow he agreed. Now he's changed his name, but I feel like he announced to everyone he was changing his name, right? He after he went to jail, he didn't want to be known as Jeff Galuli, so he did change his name so no one would know who he was. But then he moved right back to his same small town, so he didn't think it through, right? You know, but I knew what his name was, and I knew the job he had, and I knew the town, which is actually very close to where my brother lives. Now, did you have to get the life rights for all of the real people who appeared in your movie? I, first, I didn't have to get the life rights at all, because so much of this is just in the public, public domain. domain. Yeah. But I wanted access to them, and I wanted to talk to them. But here is the interesting thing. I mean, not that everything else has been boring. When I talked with Jeff, he wouldn't take any money for the interview or anything. He said, look, Tanya never would have thought of calling in a death threat, which is what he says happened. And that's on him. And he felt like he ruined her career and he didn't want to profit from it. And he wouldn't take any money, which is not 
the way he was portrayed in the media at all. That's really sweet. No, it was, it was, it was you know, he's, people he's are complicated. He's a great guy. <laughs> people are complicated. They're not one thing. Right. I mean, that attracted me to the story. Yeah. How everybody in the story was reduced to one thing. They mm-hmm. were a punchline. You know, one was the villain, one was the princess. And I just felt like that doesn't do anybody a service. And, you know, people are messy and they're complicated. And there was no nuance to that story. And I wanted, I wanted to bring that out. I didn't want to ever say this person's a hero or this, this person's even a villain. I just wanted to say, look, they're all human and this is what happened. So you talked to Tanya. You talked to Jeff. Did you speak with anybody else who was involved in the real-life events? Um, I tried to talk to her coach, but I think that she just moved on and did not want to be associated with any of it, which is sure. understandable. Um, Sean, the bodyguard, died, which is so I didn't get to talk to him. But there's a lot of footage with him. And uh, Tanya said she didn't know if her mother was dead or alive and didn't care and didn't know what name she was using. So I I couldn't find her. I feel so much better about my family right now. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for coming in. There you have it. There it is. So you do these interviews and then you set out to write this script. Yes. And what was that like for you? Did you have like a light bulb went off moment where you're like, I know what this is. I know what it's going to look like. Once I talked with Jeff and I knew th- and their stories were wildly different. Mm-hmm. They had totally different accounts of what what happened and how it happened, which I found really interesting, you know, and because I, 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 I feel like an event can happen and everybody has a different opinion about what happened because we bring our own baggage to it, you know, so when you're looking for truth, everybody has their own truth, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I thought that's how I'll tell the story. I'll put everybody's point of view up there and let the audience decide. So when you sat down on the very first day to start writing this in earnest. Because that's you, how I write, in yeah, earnest. in earnest. <laughs> Stephen Ernest Rogers. Um, just what what was it? What does that look like? And what was your – when did you go, oh, I know what this is. I see a split screen. I see – his he said she like just talk me through a little bit what think, movies maybe that you saw that you're like ooh it could be a little like this or I'm gonna reinvent the wheel. I wanted to reinvent. First of all, I was reinventing myself, mm-hmm. and I knew no one would pay me to write this, so I had to just do it my own way. And I didn't want me. I would have happily paid you. <laughs> Thank you. You're a pal. I am. No, but so I I I didn't want to do just a traditional movie. I wanted it to be original, like we always do. You know. Um, my feeling was that all of the characters were very wrong-headed and very rebellious. And so I wanted the screenplay to be wrong-headed and rebellious to Miriam. So I wanted to do it in a way that everybody says, you can't you can't put that in the screenplay. You can't break the fourth wall. You can't have split screens. At one point in the movie, Allison Janney's character criticizes the screenplay. Right. You know, she says, my storyline is disappearing. Yeah. You know? And it doesn't make sense. It's wrong-headed, but it works because it's in that same spirit, you know. And I felt like the story was really funny and really tragic and really crazy and true-ish, depending on whose point of view you were believing. Right. And so I didn't want it to be one thing. And I thought, why does it have to be? Why do you just have to be a drama or a comedy? You can you can mix it up. Did you start at the beginning? Did you start? I started at the very, very beginning. Which is a very good place to start. <laughs> it is. <laughs> And I was singing about it. No, yes. I, I, I mean, I feel like I'm, you were uh, in the Sound of Music. Were you ever I was, in the Sound of my Music? My father produced regional theater yes. for a living, so we would move around wherever he had a season. Wait, how many siblings do you have? Two other ones. And so, 
your fam the Rogers family yes. would move from town to town. Yes, we would. And, and you know what was interesting though? My father loved money. Mm. So he didn't really want to spend it. So he would never pay for a rehearsal hall or, you know, when we have auditions, we had them in our house where we were living. Thrifty. And he, you know, and, and from the age of 10, my brother and I were the readers. We would we would read with all the actors. And sometimes it was really inappropriate. Sure. You know? Sure. But I loved it. I just, I look back now and I think... Those poor actors. They're going into somebody's house and they've got this 12-year-old eyeballed kid just staring at them, ready to go, you know, playing the, the playing Stella, the I'm Stella. the yeah. I'm sitting there going, five, five Trojan women. Well, I don't even know what five means, but I know it's bad. I know how to spell it. That I can assure you. And it is so so just to digress for a second, when I met you, I met you because you had gone to the neighborhood playhouse yes. with a bunch of friends of mine. And so it is no shock to me that because of your acting background that you would write such incredible dialogue. I think that does help. And I think it must be because of my background. You know, but, I don't think I'm great at plot, but I think I am good at dialogue. So when you began writing in the romantic comedy genre, were you a lover of romantic comedies and that sort of was how you knew how to do it? Or how did you learn to write well, since you I were didn't, an actor? No, I didn't know. Well, I didn't know I couldn't. Okay. I think that was the main thing with me. I, yeah. I have the happy gene. I have, you know, I, I always think things are going to work out. Why not? Have to work out for somebody, sure. you know? Um, well, that might explain why I write those happy movies. I was a fan of all those Ruth Gordon, Garson Kanan scripted Catherine Hepburn and Tracy Hepburn, uh, Hepburn Tracy movies. Right. You know, so I loved those, and I liked that quick dialogue. That rat a tat tat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I I did like that. No, the first thing I ever wrote was Kate and Leopold, and uh, I had I I was working as an actor, and I was touring in a play called The Foreigner. And I toured in that play a lot. I was like the Yule Brenner of the foreigner. Good I did for it you. everywhere. And I did it in Los Angeles and I won a prize, like a critic's prize. So I just thought, nobody in New York is giving me a prize. I'm gonna move to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be a movie star. And then I found out that pretty much everybody who does a play in Los Angeles gets a prize. It's not a big deal. Mm. But I already gave up my apartment. Right. And so I wanted to be in movies, but they didn't want me. And so I thought, well, I'll just write my own. And I'll give myself the supporting part with a heart of gold because those are the parts I played. Because I didn't know everybody did that. I was 20-nothing. I knew nothing. And the first thing I wrote was Kate and Leopold, and it sold. And everyone was like, oh, my God, the first thing you wrote was sold. But I was so young, I just thought, well, yeah, of course it's sold. That's why I wrote it. Yeah. I didn't know I love it was it. impossible. I love it. They didn't let you be in it. By the time they made that one, I didn't want to act anymore. You had moved into this other yeah, but I also saw what it was like to be famous because some of my friends started to get famous. And, you know, not only can you never turn it off, you become an anecdote wherever you go, mm -hmm. you know? And I just thought, oh, gosh, not for me. So fast forward to I, Tanya, yes. which is after this incredibly fruitful career as a rom-com writer, mm -hmm. as we discussed earlier, you're like, I'm going to reinvent myself yeah. and I'm going to write this in a very different way. And you do. Yeah. And... Margot Robbie is the star of your movie. Yeah, she is. She's so, amazing. I remember seeing her in The Wolf of Wall Street and did not know that she wasn't American. And when yeah. I – by the way, she was extraordinary in that movie. But to find out – extraordinary? At, she like was extraordinary. Are... <laughs> Catherine Hepburn and I both saw it together. I thought, and we thought, thought you were trying to do an Australian accent. No, no. I think that's my T-neck. That's, that's uh, okay. T-neck uh, by way of Brisbane. Um 
she was so amazing, amazing in that movie. Um, and then to find out that she wasn't from Long Island was mind-blowing, yeah. right? And yeah. then she's so stunningly beautiful, it just makes me mad. Because I understand she's also very nice, which really makes me mad. Uh, hold on to your hat. She's also really smart. And smart. She's got an incredible work ethic. Ugh, I'm annoyed. Wait, let's be done. <laughs> um, how does Margot Robbie become not just the star of your movie, but the producing partner with her husband, correct, yeah, of yeah, this film? Yeah. Let's see. Where is, uh, so I was, I was meeting up with producing people to partner up with to produce mm-hmm. the movie because I said I want to I, I was executive producer of my last movie really just to learn how mm-hmm. and I felt like a tourist the whole time which isn't a knock I like being a tourist uh, but on this one I really wanted a seat at the day table day in day out yeah and I wanted that experience and I knew that the tone of the movie would never survive the studio system so I knew we had to do it independently and I partnered up with Brian Unkless, uh but as I was going through that process, my neighbor, Jill McElroy, who works at Management 360, which is Tanya's management firm. She, Wait, Tanya's management I'm sorry. firm? Yeah. She I get them has confused become now. Tanya Hardy, but head. Margot Robbie. Yeah, she works at Margot's management So you're company. like, Jill, hi, Stephen, no, no. next door. Okay. Jill, Jill came to a party at my house once and never left. Um no, Jill just heard me talking about Tanya Harding and Jeff Galuli, and she said, well, oh, let me read it, you know, for fun when I was finished. And I gave it to her to read, and she was, she said, you know, it'd be great for Tanya Harding is Margot Robbie. Uh, and I was like, well, you know, we're not really there yet. I'm finding a producing partner. And she said, well, can I, can I give it to her? And I said, I'm thinking, well, can I stop you? Yeah. You know? And I didn't think that much about it. And the day after I picked Brian Unkless to partner up with, we got a call saying, Margot Robbie wants to do it. Would you meet with her? Well, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So you do. So yeah, Margot really chased it, you know, and she thought that she would have to convince us. And But I, I, I was a fan of hers, not only because she's the way that she looks, but there are very few people who are great at comedy and great at drama and mm-hmm. can not only walk that line, but meld the two. And I always felt that this girl could really do that. Um, and I don't know how many young, I mean, Jennifer Lawrence can do it. There, there are people who can do it, but it's hard, you know, Jennifer Lawrence wasn't coming knocking. And Margaret was even more exciting than, than Jennifer Lawrence. Not a knock on Jennifer Lawrence, but we hadn't seen Margot do it, you know, and transform herself. And that's what she really wanted to do with this. And, you know, frankly, I'm just a sucker for someone, for an artist who wants to do something different, because that's what I was doing. So this is the beginning of what became this partnership. Yeah, and, and you know, we the miracle was we really all saw the script the same way. We saw the movie the same way. And then she and Tom Ackerley, who produces movie with, with her and is great, you know. Have they produced as a husband and wife team? Have they done things before? Was this their first big movie together? Um, no, they've done other movies before in okay. small independent movies. And I think they really like that world. Yeah. You know, and I think that sometimes the big Suicide Squad movies finance that. I know um, they do for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so she says yes, you say yes, and you're off. We're off. And so we were meeting with directors and this wasn't the kind of thing where you you offer to somebody and wait. People were just chasing it. It was a hot script. Exciting. It was, especially, yeah. And was... also the the other part is Allison Janney, who is how we met originally, um, was someone that you saw from day one to play Tanya's mom. Yes. So I wrote the part for Allison because uh, I didn't get to talk to Tanya's mother so I really much just wrote, I mean, I researched it, and then I love Allison. I've written parts for her all the time. She's never gotten to play them, and it was very frustrating. 
And on this one, because there was heat on the script, I got to say, Allison Janney is playing the part that I wrote for her and I want it in writing or it's a deal breaker. And if they if they said, well, we love Allison, but we can't, what if what if a financier doesn't want I'm like, then don't do it. Don't that's do right. it. That's fine. And Craig Gillespie, who came on to direct, uh, who had done Lars in The Real Girl and and started out in commercials, I he, think, is his background. He is did. That... Yeah, yeah. Was he early on uh, the person that came so on board? There were so many really talented people. And that was, I have to say, the, one of the m- most fun parts of this experience is you, Brian would take the first round of meetings with directors who were interested if in case they wanted to talk about the script without me being there. Sure. Which was fine. And then I would do the second round. And I just met so many interesting, talented people that way. Exciting. But the truth is we can only take one, you know. And when Craig came in... Immediately, he just started talking. So what did he say immediately that you were like, okay, done? He started talking about the tone of it, which was the most important thing. And And what kind of words did he use to describe it or what his vision or understanding of it is? After he said I was really good, I kind of stopped listening. I was like, he's in. The tone is Stephen is talented. Stephen is good. Okay, done. (laughs) Check. Was there... Was there no, a way? No, he he under he understood the nuance. He understood. He was the only one who really specifically said how he would shoot it and how, yeah, you know. And what were and and what was that? He uh, he was talking about early on. He was talking about how, in the domestic violence scenes because they're very violent and mm-hmm. and to not be violent would be doing a disservice to you know so who many she people. Is and what the story Her story is. and other people's stories and you know, but how to tell it without being really off putting. And I had broken so many rules in the script already. You know, he was saying, well, why don't we do, why don't we break the fourth wall? Mm. Because when you see Tanya at like 15 in a, this documentary before she's famous and she's saying, my mom hits me, she's an alcoholic, she's very removed. She's, it's very distant. And he just felt if you break the fourth wall while the scene is going on and she talks right to the audience, it's, it's, it's that distance you know, that it's the same thing, but it also sort of lets the audience know, okay, she's all right. She's talking about this now. Right. And, you know, I thought that's so smart. Yeah. That's such a great way to go. So the talk, so the breaking of the fourth wall wasn't in the first draft of, uh, or whatever draft of the script that that was being sent out at the time. It, I think it was a little, but not certainly not to the extent. Right. And not in those scenes. You know, I had them, I had them cutting back to... The present day stuff and commenting, but he how he put it in the actual scene. When you talk to Jeff Galuli about the circumstances surrounding this tragic moment in skating history, did he talk about their relationship and the domestic violence? Was he was well, that something you guys talked about? I mean, I asked him about it. You know, I mean, again, I wasn't there to judge anybody. I was just there to get their story. But was you know? that part of the conversation, or did he not speak to that? No, he did. But he said, "I never hit her." He said he didn't. He's like, you know, she had a manager Mm -hmm. who, you know, when we were going through a divorce, thought that I was going to ask for all this money because I supported her then. And and he told her to say it and she said it. But like, I never hit her. Right. Well, you know, there there are police reports that say otherwise. Right. You know, but again, it's the things that we tell ourselves. You know, Sean, the bodyguard, you know, went around telling everybody that he worked for overseas as dictators and had assassins at his finger. And he really did. And it was crazy and it was funny. But my feeling when I was watching that was that he did it because he was 400 pounds, he lived in his parents' basement, and he was lonesome, you know? And it's like he had to tell himself stuff in order to get through the day. Well, that is an incredibly fascinating character at the center of this story. I mean, what's interesting about the movie is how Nancy Kerrigan is such a supporting player. I mean, she features very little 
in this actual film. Was, yeah, did knew, you make a decision at some point? I knew for that? right away. I, I wasn't interested in the story of the girl who gets hit and comes back and wins the silver. You know, I mean, it's not I Nancy. Right. You know, I and I thought again, if we tell it from Tanya and Tanya's point of view and Jeff's point of view, it comments more about class in America and the things that we tell women they're supposed to be and all that other stuff. How did you come up with the title? I love the title. I do too. Uh, it's 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 again. I don't like things to be just one thing, especially in this movie. So it's a few things. It's certainly a play on I Claudius, and it's also I Tanya swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And it's also it's a little fancy. I Tanya and yeah. I. It was them putting on their good face to tell the story. I think that's absolutely something that comes through in the watching of it. You know, you mention the domestic violence aspect of it. There are so many things that happen in this story that are so dark and then moments later are so funny. And you really manage to kind of balance these two very real parts of her life. And the fighter in her is an extraordinary thing to behold. But the thing that I, the scene, one of the scenes, I mean, there are so many, and I can't wait for everyone to see the movie and then call me after they see it and we can talk about all the things that we're discussing today. But the moment where she is preparing in the mirror to go out in the Olympic, um, what is that called? When you, the when Olympic you, Auditorium where there's gonna, she's skating for the Olympics. Right, but there's like a specific... Was that her final performance or No, that was the one where her, her lace broke. Right. Yeah. So that is day one at the Olympics no, when she finally makes it, or is that like days it, in? Yeah, it's a little it's it's in. But here's the interesting thing about that scene. I'm so glad yeah. you didn't ask me about this. It just came up. Yeah. Uh you know, we didn't have a lot of money to make this movie. We had two hundred and sixty something scenes, which is a lot. Most have hundred and sixty. We had two hundred and sixty. In how long? Thirty one days. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, everyone took the minimum. Everyone, you know, Craig shot all these scenes on the fly. The cast, the crew, everybody. Everyone was game. Well, this was the spirit of the movie. Sure. You know, it was indie. You're like cutting carrots one minute and then you're like. (laughs) But but Margo was also a producer on this movie. So, I mean, she was, you know. Yes. Number one on the call sheet was leading in this sort of tone and mood. Yeah. Uh, But that scene. Where did you film? We filmed in Atlanta for. Oregon. And you're there the whole time? For a lot of the time. And yeah. the skating scenes? We had we had two Olympics. We had, you know, four big skating. I mean, this is all in 31 days. Unbelievable. For no money. Okay, but, tell me about that scene. And then, then, so she, yeah. Margot did that scene in one take. One take. And if you watch it, I mean, that's... that's that is a, extraordinary. Yeah. It's like, okay, moving on. Well, yeah. Thank God the film worked. Thank God there was film in the camera. So and thank me, God we have Margot Robbie, who she's is unbelievable. All that. that that scene killed me. That scene killed me. I mean, not only was she able in this film to go from age fifteen to forty-four, believably, and she not only believably, but she would alter her her voice for whatever age she was, and she would also alter her physicality by getting more and more closed off and defensive. And it was so, we did not film this in order. Right. You know, there were days where she was 23, then she was 15, then she was Did she 19, have an acting and, coach or someone on set to kind she of had help a, her? Not an acting coach, but she had a, a dialect coach. I see. You know, but I mean, it was, it, and she made it, she did this effortlessly. But so it couldn't have been. So talk to me about, so in Flashdance... As we recall, we found out later on that Jennifer Beals uh, was not actually dancing in the movie. Do you remember that moment? I don't where the... I think I ever saw that movie. <laughs> what a feeling. How did you do the skating? How did you film that? Well, I did most of it. You did? <laughs> I it knew was, it. It was me. I knew it. <laughs> no, uh, Margot trained, I think, for five months. 
which I mean, she trained you know over Christmas. She trained the day before she got married. Had she skated ever before? She did. She played hockey, but she hasn't said this recently. But this is what I remember. She said she said she played hockey, but she didn't know how to stop. Like physically stop on the ice. I hate that feeling. Yeah. I feel that in my life. That's the metaphor. So how do you film those skating scenes? Um, you know, we we thought, oh, we'll just get a, you know, a double. Mm-hmm. You know, someone will do the triple because it's been twenty years. I mean, I'm sure now people can do the triple. And the skating, the choreographer, you know, saying, um, no. Six women So still people can't do they this. They can't do it. No one can do it. And the only ones who can do it can't double Margot because they're they're gonna they are trying out for the Olympics and they're Asian. So they can't double Margot. So we had to figure out a way around it. You know, I remember showing we showed her the tape of Tanya doing, you know, some some routine and we said, Is Margot gonna be able to do that? She's like, No. No. <laughs> but what about this? No. No, 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 no. Can no. Jennifer Beals do it? Yes. Um, <laughs> so, so we what had happens? we had we did like face replacement and we had other So it's CGI? Do it. Yeah, the triple that's all CGI. Yeah. So no, Margot did it. No, but I mean, we see her skating. So she does some. She skating. does a lot of it. She does some ice dancing. Oh, absolutely. That's all Margot. Yeah. Except when it's not. Except when it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so in reality, the brutal moment in real life and in the film where her punishment is Tanya Harding's punishment is that she can never skate again. Is that true? Does Tanya Harding never skate again? No, that is true. Uh, Do you think she never went on the ice again? She can go on the ice, but she can't ever go to the Olympics or be associated with it. So people who want to train to go to the Olympics can't aren't going to use her. So you do know? you know when you spoke to Tanya, does she ever still skate in real life? I think she started again recently, you know, for because of the movie. You know, so what I, does this movie mean for Tanya Harding? Well, here's the thing. You know, when I when I was speaking with her, her eyes just absolutely lit up when we talked about two different things, skating and what that meant to her, and also being a mom, mm-hmm. which I found really moving because, you know, here's a girl who's looking for family her whole life and, you know, can have it. And then she created her family and now really became the mother that she never had. I mean, that's pretty powerful, you know. So I, I feel like that's her happy ending. Well, the scenes between Allison and Margot, those mother-daughter <clears throat> scenes, are some of the most beautifully realized, painful oh scenes God. I've ever seen on film. I mean, that not since diner, Mommy Dearest. <laughs> but that scene in the diner with Allison and Margot, and, yeah. and where, where Allison's justifying her parenting skills, which I think that probably were Lavanna's. You know, she says, I made you a champion knowing you'd hate me for it. Yeah. You think Sonia Henning's mom was nice to her? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Loved her. Yeah. Was some of the film improvised? Craig would film everything that I wrote. And then, you know, the last one would be, you know, just... Do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the combination of what you wrote and do whatever you want, um, it's, yeah. which there's less of and and more of what you wrote, must make you feel so proud I'm to set out to do something. of this movie, yes. And it will also have this strange thing, which doesn't usually happen, of giving someone a second chance at life. And that must feel incredible. My friend, we were at the premiere and Tanya was there. Yeah. You know, and the audience didn't know that that she was there. And at the end of the movie, Marco and Craig went up with a microphone and everyone just thought, oh, they're going to thank everybody. And instead, they brought out the real Tanya Harding. And the audience went crazy after seeing this movie. And then there's the real Tanya. They stood up, they cheered, and Tanya was just beside herself. And my friend, Seth Resnick, who's a writer, said, you know what you just did? You just gave her literally a Hollywood ending. Yeah. 
I thought, oh my God, I think I did. Yeah. But also you gave yourself a Hollywood ending. Like you have really started out, or maybe a Hollywood beginning on your terms. Yeah, but I feel like, you know, it's it's such a roller coaster. It's always up. I've been up, I've been down, I've been flavor of the month, and I've been told I'm cold and they can't do anything with me, you know, and I'm back. So what's the takeaway? You know, it's a dangling carrot. You just keep aiming for it and, and wanting, you know, what's out of reach and trying to be talented and trying to be good, you know. And yeah, and, and even though it's like, you know, right now I have this one, which is, you know, getting really nice reviews and, and a lot of attention, you know, it's going to be over and I'm going to have to do it all over again, mm-hmm. you know. And so there's always that. But you, I think the takeaway is just to be in the moment and enjoy this part. Because right now I'm not taking on any work. I'm just enjoying this part. Well, know? Stephen Rogers, it is an incredible film. And to really have watched you for a very long time figure out ways to be creative and an artist and first and foremost, the kindest person I've ever known. Ah, uh, go on with you. I am just so like I'm I meant so go happy. On. Go <laughs> on. Uh, you got my attention now. Well, I'm so sad you have to go because I could really go on forever, both about how proud I am of you and also just to talk specifically about this movie. I Tanya is incredible, Thank and you. I cannot wait to see what happens next. And um, we'll be seeing a lot of you. Okay, it's Thanks. good to see you again. I'm so happy. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.